Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey friends, thanks for listening to episode 58 of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. I'm happy to have you here. If you're listening to EcoChic on the day it comes out, we actually had a bonus episode come out yesterday, Monday for Earth Day. And if you're interested in going back and listening to that, I would totally recommend it, especially if you're new to the sustainability green living space. Five easy tips to make Earth Day every day, plus some bonus ideas at the end. So that was a lot of fun for me, just something quick and timely. And I really enjoy being able to share relevant content for y'all. So I'm also excited because today's episode is actually inspired by a question that I received in the reviews of this podcast. So if EcoChic has brought you any value, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast in the past, if you enjoy today's episode, I would totally, totally appreciate if you could go ahead and leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app. It helps me so much figure out what is important to y'all and what really resonates with you and what you wanna hear more of. So if you just go to the show page, scroll to the bottom, there's a place for stars, and then there's a little place for a pop-up review. So I like to say that at every episode because again, it really helps me out, but today I'm especially excited to emphasize that point of rating and reviewing being so helpful because today's episode is actually inspired by a review that I received in the Apple Podcast app. Our friend Cassie M asked about careers in climate. I am excited to answer this question because it actually comes at a really timely point for me personally. A couple weeks ago, I went with a group down to a high school to a career day and just talk about different ways that you can get involved in science in general. So I went down to kind of emphasize the climate science angle and just how timely the issue of climate change is and like how many ways there really are to get involved. So for some background on me, if you're not familiar with the podcast, I have a master's degree in climate science and solutions. So it's actually a really holistic degree where I had to learn a lot about policy, economics, of course, like the hard science of the carbon cycle and things like that. But I had to familiarize myself with a lot of different sectors in our society, in our economy, and just how climate change is truly impacting every single aspect of our life. So I'm really excited to be able to answer the question of careers in climate because a lot of the students at this career day were just asking like, hey, I'm not really interested in going to graduate school to study geology or whatever it may be. How else can I get involved? And the truth of the matter is because, like I said, climate change truly impacts every single angle of our society, there are so many ways for every single person to get involved. There are really areas in your field that touch on climate, whether you realize them immediately or not. And I'm really happy to be able to share that because I know that a lot of my listeners are either in college and trying to figure out what to do afterwards or going to college and having to pick a major and nervous about that. And there are so many ways that you can get involved in sustainability and climate change and just making sure that you're kind of doing your part as a citizen and feeling a little bit better about what it is that you're contributing to. And I think that's a really exciting, like powerful, timely conversation to have for a lot of y'all. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I also think it would be really relevant if you are in a field right now where you're a little bit unfulfilled, but you're like really good at what you do. Maybe there's a way for you to kind of flip your trajectory a little bit and work more in the sustainability space. So I hope this is really relevant and really helpful to a lot of y'all. 
So I first want to start out with the obvious careers involved in climate change information, and that is that of a climate scientist. So like I said earlier, I personally studied climate science and solutions, and that was an oddly unique degree. There aren't a whole lot of programs in the country that look at climate super holistically, but typically when someone says that they are a climate scientist, it's usually that they're a geologist or a zoologist or a hydrologist, some other form of science that just focuses on climate. So let's say that you are really passionate about lake sediment. There are some people who just love everything that there is to know about lakes. There's a lot that we can learn about climate from a very historical perspective that lakes can tell us. So the same way that you can learn a lot from looking at tree rings about fires or droughts or other things that happened in an area, if you're familiar with that technique at all, Lakes can do the same thing. Glaciers can do the same thing. Ice cores. So there's a lot of ways that you can get involved in looking at climate from a very historical perspective that is really, really important to our understanding of climate today. So those would be degrees in geology, hydrology. Zoology would be if you're looking at animals over time and how they are interacting with the climate. So that was actually like my first love in undergrad. That's what I studied most passionately. And I think that it's really interesting to be able to see that Everyone, whether you are a human or not, is interacting with climate change in some way. We're talking about how our predator-prey relationships changing, how is access to food changing, and how are habitats changing, and how are people and how are animals responding to those constraints and those climate pressures. And so on that topic, I want to talk about a different kind of scientist, and that would be a computer scientist. So computer scientists are wildly important in the understanding of climate change because we need people that are improving models and being able to put together data from a long-term perspective to be able to better predict what's going to be happening in the future. One of the ways that we know climate change is absolutely without a doubt happening is because we have so much historical information to really tell us how we've been responding to global changes. So like on a million year scale, let's say, and then also looking at smaller changes since the industrial revolution. So one of the ways that we know climate change is absolutely happening is that we can plot and graph all of the different atmospheric components that have been going on historically over the lifetime of our planet before humans were there. And we know that, yes, the climate does go through cycles where it's a little warmer, a little cooler, but it's absolutely true that the peak that we are seeing now is unprecedented. It is dangerous for us not to acknowledge that. And I always like to say climate change is happening whether or not you accept it. It's not about belief. It's happening. Do you know that saying that's like science is true whether or not you believe it? And that's like the great thing about it. That's absolutely true when it comes to climate scientists. We know that all this data is happening and we just need people who are experts in putting it together and better understanding it and better predicting what our future will look like if we are heading on the same path. And then by the same token, we need people to make predictions about how we can change and how those economic changes, those systematic changes in how we are putting carbon into our atmosphere, whether that is from a deforestation perspective or if it is from a fossil fuel perspective, we need people to say, if we change this particular habit by X percent, we are going to be able to curb our emissions by this percent. So I think that's also a really important point to emphasize that, yes, you could be a climate scientist from a geology stance or a hydrology stance, but also a computer scientist from those same angles. And all of those people are really, really important in their specialties. So you don't necessarily have to be a computer scientist that knows everything about graphing. Maybe you just need to know how to graph like one particular geographic region. So that's like a GIS background. So that's also a really important angle to emphasize that there are specialties within all of these careers, not just within science. And on the topic of specialties, I wanna move into the other kind of obvious work that you can do within climate change and sustainability, and that is nonprofit work, advocacy. We need people to educate the public and we need people to encourage and incentivize 
incentivize people to move towards more sustainable lifestyles. So like I said earlier, there are specialties within whatever it is that you're particularly passionate about. So let's say you're really interested in like board sports. You're like a ride or die snowboarder. There are nonprofits that only work with snowpack and emphasizing the need for climate change solutions around winter sports. And then by the same token, there are people who work in other more like corporate settings. So we talked a couple weeks ago to Megan of the Diablo Trust, which is a ranching organization. It's a ranching nonprofit that encourages collaboration between ranchers and political groups and also federal organizations. So there are a lot of ways to kind of bridge that gap. And animal agriculture is something that's very seriously impacting our climate. So that's a great angle to also talk about specialties in the nonprofit space. There are also nonprofits like local groups that are moving towards plastic free communities. Like if it's a straw free organization in your local neighborhood, that's an easily visible way to get involved with day to day sustainability encouragement to a sense. There are also nonprofits that only work in the political sphere. So like pushing one particular topic when it comes to our political environment in America. So I think that's also a really important topic to touch on. With that, let's talk a little bit about policy. We need policy makers in the climate change space. We truly cannot rely on the goodwill of every individual person to reach our climate change goals. We need systematic change starting at a local level. And I'm not here to say that as like some extremist advocate for climate change solutions. I'm saying that research shows that is how change is made in a society. There is a reason that China is now one of the leading countries in solar power and renewable energy resources. And that's because honestly, it's because they're a communist government and they could say wide scale, let's start moving towards solar. Let's stop accepting everybody's trash for our recycling programs and let's move towards large climate change solutions. So like, please do not take that as me advocating for a communist government. I'm just saying that we actually need a systematic wide scale change. We can start it at local level. So it's local governments encouraging state governments, eventually hopefully encouraging the federal government to move towards larger solutions. So I'm just saying we need policymakers that are going to push those policies into place. So how should our public lands and natural resources be governed? Do we want citizens to have the option of plastic grocery bags? Do we want to regulate utility companies to incorporate more renewable energy sources into the grid? And then by that token, how can we incentivize our citizens to move towards renewable energy sources on their own before we can really regulate utility companies on a larger scale? So there's a lot of questions that you can kind of pose to policymakers. Call your legislators, vote for what you care about, but also we need people in those positions. We need educated people who care about climate change. And a reason that I'm a very big advocate for personal sustainability efforts is because we are the ones that are voting for these people. We are the ones who need to put these people into office. And I think once you become a little bit more aware on your personal level, how you are impacting the planet, you are much more likely to care about who's in office and who is making those decisions for our country, for our communities as a whole. On the topic of policy and the need for systematic evaluation of climate change solutions, I would really like to emphasize the angle of economics and statistics. So actually, I didn't know a whole lot about environmental economics before I got into graduate school, and I took an environmental economics class that just really opened my eyes and inspired me a lot to think about how our communities and our societies are really valuing particular resources. So let's talk about like the value of clean air and clean water. How do you put a price on that? Why is it that we don't wanna clean up Flint, Michigan, but we are so interested in cultural investments or investments in the stakeholders in larger fossil fuel communities? There are a lot of political ties to that. So we need economists that are really putting a price on all of these resources and really being able to say, yes, if we do have the risk of climate change increasing extreme events like wildfire, how is that going to affect property values? How is that going to affect 
your investments in the long-term future. And then on the topic of investments, you also have the industry of insurance. Climate change is the biggest threat to humanity. Like, I'm not saying that to be dramatic. It is actually, for sure, the biggest threat to humanity. There's a lot of issues under that, like social justice and food justice and a lot of social issues that we can kind of combat underneath the issue of climate change. But all of those social issues are absolutely going to be overshadowed if we cannot live on this planet anymore. If there are communities that are completely underwater, if there are communities that are ridden with wildfire and other extreme events, we actually can't combat those social issues. So climate change is for sure the biggest threat to our humanity, like our human race. So with that, we have to think about risk. So risks like sea level rise, risks, like I said earlier, extreme weather events. We need people to evaluate all of these things and also put a price on them. And why is it that we're going to care so much? The insurance industry was actually one of the first like big sectors of our economy to really accept and move towards climate change as an actual threat. So I think that it's important for people to realize that there's a lot of different day-to-day jobs that you can do that absolutely involve climate change. We did just briefly mention the idea of resources, and I would like to touch on the idea of environmental law. We need people in law to inform policy decisions, but also to fight for particular environmental issues that we want to protect. So we need people that are thoroughly familiar with the legalities of resource extraction, of land degradation. So about a year and a half ago, perhaps you remember, there was a lot of talk early in the Trump administration of selling two national monuments in southern Utah. So that was Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante that were incredible oil reserves. This was actually totally illegal, the sale of two national monuments. We as a country needed people to dig into policies literally from the late 1800s and people to sue these federal agencies involved in the selling or reduction of these national monuments. And then we also needed people to just carry out that whole legal fiasco. So if you're interested in that issue in particular, I wrote a whole lot about it. I spent a whole semester just researching this issue from a policy perspective and I'll link it in the down below show notes if you're interested. But with that, we just need people who are interested in law and like making sure that laws are being followed and informing these policymakers that what you are doing is or is not correct from a legal perspective. So even outside of the climate change issue, let's say that you totally don't want to fight for climate change in the courtroom. You just want to fight for like following the law. And that happens to do with natural resources or other particular environmental issues. There is, of course, also a lot of space for entrepreneurs, people who are creating more sustainable lifestyle products, but that also opens the door to people in PR and marketing. How do we make sustainable living attractive? And how are we going to really encourage people to move towards these greener lifestyle solutions? Making sustainability attractive is, in my opinion, a huge hurdle that we need to get over if we wanna move people towards a more climate conscious lifestyle. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about engineering. So like, don't even get me started on the need for environmental engineers. Infrastructure, how do we grow our society? That's actually the whole basis of our economy. It's growth and expansion. Just moving forward as a country, we need infrastructure. How do we create batteries that can effectively store energy that's generated from solar panels? So if you didn't know, we actually don't have really great long-term large battery storage for energy that has been generated by solar panels. That's one of the really big issues with solar panels right now. But on that note, how do we make solar panels more efficient at converting solar radiation into usable energy? So another fun fact, most solar panels are actually only about 15% efficient. Like 15% of the sunlight that hits a panel can actually be converted into energy that you can use at home. So by comparison, coal is about 30% efficient. 
So actually solar panels have quite a bit to go before they can really outcompete coal. But wind is about 40% efficient. So we needed engineers to really improve wind turbines and figure out how it is that we can have them going at max capacity. Wind is our most effective energy source right now, renewable or not. So with that, how are we going to make solar panels more efficient? We are weaning off of things like coal, but that opens another whole box of issues. How are we going to creatively, open-mindedly repurpose and reuse degraded land? So from those coal factory sites, what are we going to do with all of those buildings and all of the waste that is associated with them and all of the land that's immediately around them degraded? I have briefly mentioned that there is some initiatives in states like West Virginia to use these degraded coal fields, quote unquote, to just repurpose them into solar fields because it's not land that you can build on or really use for any sort of natural resource extraction or agriculture or anything like that. So if you are taking a degraded land area and being able to put something like solar panels or wind turbines on it, that is all coming from a land planning, a community planning perspective. We need people who are experts in planning to be able to rethink these degraded areas. How can we efficiently use the space that we have without encroaching on new untouched land? And then on the issue of renewable energy, we also want to talk about teaching and management of learning institutions. So how are we going to train people on a large scale to repair wind turbines? Communities that are being severely affected by losing things like the coal industry need a wide scale change. So we need people to be teaching individuals in these communities technical skills. Technical skills for moving towards our new, more renewable, more green, quote unquote, economy. But then we also need people going into these communities and really revitalizing them. The loss of industry has massively hurt a lot of different communities throughout the country, especially in the East. So I think there's a lot of change to be made and a lot of opportunity there for people to come in and just start new stores and start new LEED certified housing facilities. And then on that topic, LEED has to do with a green building certification. So we need people in construction and we need construction managers to really understand what it is to be using more sustainable materials and what it is to be using windows that really insulate your home and what it is to effectively cool and heat a home without raising your energy bill. So like that with construction, I would never assume immediately that construction and climate change are related. But like I said earlier, there really is a lot of opportunity in whatever field you are in to think about climate change and to efficiently, effectively really make a contribution to your industry. I feel like I touched on quite a bit today, but I absolutely did not touch on every single possible career that you could get into that has to do with climate change. So I hope this was helpful in just kind of getting some people thinking about what it is they can do work-wise in the workspace to really support their passion for the environment. So again, whether that is in economics or industry or policy or insurance, engineering, whatever, there are so many ways that you can get involved. And I'm really thankful that people are interested in learning more about careers in climate. I think that it's such a timely issue. And a lot of the time you feel like everything is out of your control. It's so easy to be like, oh my God, climate change is this huge issue. And I just don't know how I personally could ever help it out because I'm just not a data person. I'm just not a scientist. There are so many things that you can do. And I really want to encourage everyone to go into the career field, whether it is in sustainability or whatever it may be, just with a really open mind. And I'm kind of at that point personally where I'm looking for a job that I want to be really passionate about, but I also want to make sure that I am making an impact. And I think that 
It's a little bit more cut and dry for me to say, yes, I'm a climate scientist and I want to be an academic. I want to make new knowledge. I want to be doing research. And that's great. I love doing research, but there's also a lot of opportunity for me to work in climate in so many different fields. So I feel like if you are going into the career field and you want to work in climate, really just take whatever it is that you're already passionate about, maybe what you majored in in school or what you've been doing for the last few years. And there is going to be an angle for you to care about sustainability. There is going to be an angle for you to really support environmental efforts. And thank you again so, so much to Cassie M for submitting this question. It got me really inspired. It got me really thinking about a lot of different things. And I hope that this episode was helpful. If so, please don't forget to rate and review this podcast. That's all I have for today. But if you would like to connect or talk to me a little bit about your careers in climate or something else that you'd like to see on the podcast, the easiest way to get in touch with me is via Instagram. So at EcoChicPodcast. If you don't already follow it, you totally should because I'm really proud of how it looks right now. And I love the connection of this community. Like my favorite thing about podcasting truly is connecting with each and every one of you. So please reach out. I really enjoy those conversations and I want to make sure that this is providing value to everyone. My personal Instagram is at Laura e. Diaz, and you can also message me there, or you can email me through my website, lauraediaz.com, where there's a whole bunch of other resources if you're interested in learning more about climate science or green living. Even if you just want recommendations for books or documentaries or other podcasts, I would highly recommend a resource link that I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to rate and review, subscribe, and I hope to see you here again very, very soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.